What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Those Who Can't Play Talk. We got episode five, good recap of the divisional round playoffs from this weekend, and also is Deshaun Watson, Degon Watson from Houston. We'll uh, take a look at that situation that's going on down in Houston. So I'm Chris here with my boy Wayne. How you What's doing today, up? man? I'm uh, I'm doing all right. Feeling a little little bit from the workouts today, but not too bad. Yeah, yeah, same here. Not as wrecked as I was Friday whenever we recorded, but again, there's, you know, never gets easier. It just gets a little better, right? Pretty much. Uh, I'm really surprised I didn't have any lingering soreness from uh, the stuff last week because it was pretty rough, but... Yeah, uh, yeah same here. I went and got myself a massage today, so that's always a good way to get a little recovery in. Oh, yeah. All right, well, we had some, some good games this weekend. They were all pretty close for the most part and we'll kick it off with your uh near and dear to your heart green bay packers so i'll let you take it away with your take from the game i mean obviously they won 32 to 18 so i'll let you kick it off yeah they uh they played really well like we said last week this was going to be a game of strength on strength with the number one offense against the number one defense and uh if you look at this game, you can basically throw out the old saying that defense wins championships because the number one defense did not look anything like the number one defense this weekend. Um, Rodgers racked up 296 yards passing with two touchdowns. That's 100 yards more than what they gave up on average per game for the season. They... They really schemed this game really well for Rodgers. He had 66% completion, 92.1 for his QBR, which was the highest of the weekend and the highest the Rams gave up all year, 108 rating. So Rodgers really had his way with this defense. They they schemed Devontae really well to get him open at times. Uh, his one touchdown was even against uh, Jalen Ramsey was a really neat play designed to have him go in motion not once but twice to get Ramsey chasing him and essentially get Devontae a jump from the start. And uh, the Packers really looked good. They they even uh, tacked up 188 yards on the ground, uh, which gave them about 494 yards on the uh, total for the game which is 100 yards more than the Rams gave up in any game this season. And they also racked up two 50-yard plays, 50-plus yard plays, and the Rams had only allowed one all season. So um, they they really schemed that defense really well, which obviously um, Aaron Donald was injured, so he was not effective. That obviously gave Rodgers a lot more time in the pocket. He... Uh, I think he was only Donald only got one pressure on Rodgers during the game, um, but I mean Packers really, really played well on both sides of the ball this game. The really the only miscue, or I guess the two miscues you could really call them, is a bad snap on an extra point, and then they went for two and really didn't get didn't have a good play design on that later in the game, but. Other than that, they really didn't have any flaws. Uh, what's your take on this game? Well, I think going to your point with Aaron Rodgers, I think he played up to his MVP billing this year. I mean, he did what great quarterbacks do in playoff games. I mean, he had you know a solid game, managed it very well. Um, you know, pretty much from start to finish, 
Green Bay controlled the game. You mentioned the 180 plus yards rushing. Um, you know, with the Rams defense, yeah, Aaron Donald having torn rib cartilage was we found out like later on during the game when they finally kind of revealed that. Um, you know, that helps. Um, he's a force in the middle. I mean, typically most teams aren't going to go in there and just run the ball down the Rams' throats. But um, you know, Green Bay, like I said, they did a good job of that. They just, like I said, they just they looked like they were in total control from start to finish. The Rams never really felt like they were a threat. Yeah. Um, yeah, to, to the Rams end, you know, golf, the whole thumb thing was a big storyline coming into the game. Could he throw the ball? Didn't have a ton, like, huge volume of passing yards, um, but still completed a, a pretty decent percentage of his passes. He didn't do anything to hurt the Rams' chances of winning the game. Um, Green Bay did sack him four times, so I think that defensively, like I said, I just don't think Green Bay gets enough credit on defense, personally. Yeah. I mean, they, they've been viewed as a team for a long time that's been, like, in but don't break but I feel like that they're they're kind of moving into the ability to like t- attack offenses and stuff like that so I don't know yeah. if you had anything you wanted to add what to I will say with those four sacks two of them came at uh, really on back-to-back plays there late in the game when the Rams were trying to get back into it and so I mean the defense stepped up and made a couple big plays when it mattered and one thing they've done in the past several games uh, of the regular season is when it really gets down to crunch time and it's time to lock the game up by either stepping up on defense or you know either on offense as well but the defense has really made key plays at key point in times in the game uh, at times they've been bend but don't break but when you get a a team that's trying to come back i mean your offense has got you a 14 point lead and you don't want to let this team get back in they've created turnovers they've created sacks to really help the offense lock the game up. So, yeah, the defenses came on strong and had really, really good play at, at the most important times. Yeah, definitely agree. I mean, Green Bay, they just way more complete team than the Rams were. Um, yeah, Outplayed and, them. I mean, just look at the numbers. They outplayed them all game. So, yeah, in all yeah. honesty, right now, Green Bay looks like the most complete team in the playoffs at this point in time. Uh, it's also worth noting that post-game, Aaron Rodgers was all smiles because this will be his fifth NFC Championship game, but it will be the first he's gotten to play at home in Green Bay, which obviously for the Packers playing in Wisconsin is a huge advantage. And uh, this was the first game they had fans in the stadium. I think they had around 9,000, and they did give him a MVP chant that he said definitely made him emotional for the first time they had fans in the stadium. Yeah, so I guess just to kind of recap, going back what we had last week, I know we both like the Packers minus six and a half, so that was a play that panned out for us. We did mention that the uh, over was like 7-0 in all the playoff games and like weather under 32 degrees. Um, I like the under. Didn't really see this one. I didn't see the Rams scoring 18 points, honestly. Um, I think we kind of predicted like a 31-10 to 10 game, so we kind of came close on that. Um, it did creep over the total there, so that was kind of like a little – side action on that but I mean all in all like I said you, you kind of hit it Green Bay they look like the most complete team in the NFC so we'll see how it goes down with the uh, Bucks coming to town next week so with that moving on to the Ravens versus the Bills game I mean Bills won 17 to 3 you know it wasn't really an action-packed game the the Teron Johnson pick six that went for 101 yards was pretty much the game the play of the game so yeah um 
for me, I mean, that was obviously – you can't really call it a turning point. It was the point in the game. So Yeah, I mean, because essentially that's a 14-point a swing right there. You're looking right. at Baltimore potentially scoring a touchdown to tie the game at 10-all or at worst getting a field goal, making the score 10-6, and that pick six turns it to 17-3. I mean, that that was – that was the the point in the game. Yeah, and I mean, in Lamar going out with a concussion, that pretty much sealed the Ravens' fate. I mean, their, yeah, their I backup don't... quarterback, I don't even, to be honest with you, I, I thought it was someone that, I thought it was the old Green Bay Packers backup quarterback, but it wasn't even him. I mean, yeah. He, yeah, his his name was real similar. Our old backup was Brett Hundley, and that yeah. dude's last name was Huntley. Like, yeah. yeah, I thought it was him at first too, but um, – Really, uh, on that concussion play, I really I thought it was a bo- kind of a boneheaded move on his part to try to pick that ball up. I mean, you're on you're on. I think the snap came from like the 22 yard line or so, 23 yeah. yard line, goes over your head. By the time you get to it, the ball's on the eight yard line. You got to know the defense is breathing down your neck at that point. Um, I get that he's trying to pick it up and throw the ball back to the line of scrimmage to avoid losing 15 yards, but I mean, it's it, it's second down. Like, I mean, you still got another down to play. I I think your best bet is to just jump on that ball and take the loss. I mean, obviously, in that situation, it would have been better because he picked it up, tried to get rid of the ball, took the hit, took the intentional grounding, so they lost all the yardage anyway, and then yeah, obviously yeah. he got concussed. So, yeah. Uh, I, feel, I mean, I feel like that's one of them situations where you just – I know you want to make the play, but sometimes it's just best to, to take what you can and, or in that case take what little loss you can instead of making it worse. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, obviously neither of us has played NFL quarterback, and when you're in that situation and your team's down, you want to do everything you can to win. But sometimes it's, you know, limiting the damage the best you can is, yeah. is sometimes the best option. But – yeah, and um, I, know, I know we mentioned that that pick six was the point in the game that gave the game to Buffalo, but I also don't want to overlook the fact that Buffalo's defense did a very good job of limiting Lamar Jackson in the running game. Uh, they essentially held him to about 34, 35 yards, which was a lot less than what Tennessee was able to hold him to. I mean, he had a 100-plus game. I mean, he might have had 130, 140 yards against Tennessee, so – they essentially held him to 100 yards less than what he had the week before, and that really limited Baltimore's offense a lot. So Buffalo's defense, they they schemed it up well and they executed well against him. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I think that kind of just owes to the point that the Ravens in the future have to do something to get him a playmaker on the outside. I mean, J.K. Dobbins, I think he's got a good future in the NFL. He looks like he's going to be a solid running back which I mean every team needs and most teams go to like they have two running backs nowadays anyway um, but getting him a good number one option on the outside should be like priority number one whether it's through the draft or free agency I don't know who's out there as far as players I'm sure that's something we'll cover later on whenever I think uh, the season two biggest up, names is going to be Allen Robinson or Kenny Galladay yeah, which, I mean, either one of those guys right now presently is way better than having Marquise Brown as your, as your number one. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think if you're the Ravens and you want to push your team into that next tier to compete with the Chiefs and the Browns and, you know, the all Bills. the other teams in the AFC, you got to 
you, you got to go get him a number one wide receiver. Because right now, I mean, like we were talking earlier before the show came on, it's like you can scheme to stop one player. I mean, you can say, hey, you know, I'm not really worried about him throwing the ball against you. And he never puts up huge volumes of yardage numbers. I mean, he's, he's had some games where he's gone well over 300 yards, but those are like in blowouts where they're winning like 42 to 10 and stuff yeah. like that. Mark Andrews is a super reliable tight end. I mean, he's not like a Travis Kelsey, you know, up in that echelon of tight ends, you know, uh, George Kittle. He's not there, but, I mean, he's at – right now he's their best receiving option. He's essentially their number one target. So, yeah. you just – I mean, they've proven that they can win with what they have, but, I mean, just think how much better they would be if they just got a true threat on the outside. So Yeah, um, and essentially when you, when you take him – or limit him in the running game and make him pass the ball to beat you. He's proven yeah, that Ravens, he's he's yeah, not that guy. Well. He's no, he's they, not that guy to carry the team with his arm. He's I mean, and if you have a player that has his athleticism and running ability, obviously you want to take advantage of that. Like you would be dumb as a coaching staff to not take advantage of of your players' best skills, but it's just it's just proven in the NFL, and especially at this point in the season when you're playing the best of the best. Like running quarterbacks just don't succeed at this point in the season because, like you said, teams will scheme one player out of the game and force you to do something you're not good at, and he's not good at throwing the ball when it matters most. Right, and I agree with you 100. percent So, and I mean, along along with that, I I compiled some of his playoff numbers because uh, he's had. Four playoff, uh, four playoff starts now. Obviously, he exercised his demons by winning a playoff game last week, but he's still got some playoff issues. Uh, in his four games, he's he's looking at 55% completion percentage, which is not good. Uh, three passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, which you take uh, any four-game span in his career, and he probably has better numbers than those. Uh, five total interceptions, five total fumbles, and a rating of 70 uh, averaged over those four playoff starts. So, yeah. um, And that's not all on him. Like we just talked about, the Ravens haven't given him that number one option that he needs. Uh, that could no. change those numbers drastically. But um, right now, they that organization and, and Lamar really need to – sit down and figure out what they can do and how they want to go about next January if they want to get back to a Super Bowl. So if you want a good side-by-side comparison, just what we talked about, look at the Bills. What did the Bills do this offseason? They went and got, got Stephon Diggs, mm-hmm. a true number one wide receiver that gave Josh Allen a reliable target. So yeah, you do and that and look at the step that Josh Allen took this year. I mean, he went from being – a gunslinger with a lot of potential with a lot of turnovers to a guy who's like I got someone I can rely on to get open and throw the ball to and he went and now he's like he's a dark horse MVP offensive player of the year candidate not saying it's all just because they got Stefan Diggs but I mean when you have like that nice security blanket you tend to you can relax and play a little bit it just feels like in the playoffs Lamar Jackson feels like man I got to do everything when in the playoffs it's it's one and done right there is no like hey you know we can go out next week get a win and still make it or whatever you know in a 16 game season you can you can lose four times and you're going to make the playoffs yeah 75 percent of the time or 80 percent of the time or whatever so there's just not as much at stake in a 16 game season as opposed to the playoffs so i think that may be where some of this creeps in so 
I mean, and Ravens, if you, if you want to look at a good blueprint of what you may need to do to kind of push your success to the next level, look at the Bills. Stephon Diggs, like I said. Yeah, and one thing about Diggs is Josh Allen threw 206 yards this game. Stephon Diggs, uh, he was responsible for like 104. Like, like yeah. essentially half those passing yards, and I think the one touchdown went to Diggs. Yeah. So I mean, he, he made the difference in that offense in this game. I mean, so, he, he made all the difference. You remember last week the one point we made about Josh Allen, what he had to do in order for the Bills to win the game, or yes. what he had to not do? Not, not turn. turn the ball over, and he didn't turn the ball over. He did fumble one time, but his offensive line recovered it. So Right. So, I mean, he did enough, like I said, but I think the big thing was is obviously there was only one turnover in the game, and it was the most important play in the game. And yeah. that just shows you that – you know, in a scenario like that, low-scoring game, both offenses, I mean, they're not really clicking. The Ravens on offense outplayed the Bills. I mean, that the numbers will show you that. But sometimes, like we talked about, maybe just following the ball. Sometimes whenever you just do enough, and that's enough to win. In the NFL, that's, you know, you don't have to be Superman on every play. So, yeah, Ravens, luckily, I mean, the Bills have a terrible run game. If you even oh want to even, if you oh, even want to say they ter- have a running game. Up fucking understatement dude but they're they playing 32 the Chiefs. yards rushing yeah they're playing the chiefs this week who have a terrible run defense so um, i don't even think that the bills i don't you can put those two things and see if those two like will align themselves but i can almost promise you that if the bills have over 100 yards rushing i'd be shocked i don't know we can make some sort of side bet later on some crazy thing but like if they have 100 yards rushing against the the chiefs i'd like i literally will yeah. i might pass out so yeah but um, yeah, moving on. So, well, one more quick thing on that game. Yeah. Um, uh, it's it's you know a lot. The Bills Mafia gets they get a lot of talk uh, yeah. and a lot of media for their their uh, tailgating pregame antics of smashing tables and yeah, you plastic know, just, table sales are through the roof in Buffalo yeah, right now. Throwing each other through these tables. I mean, it, it's it's hilarious. It's very entertaining. Uh, but. One thing I will say about them is they've they've shown me that they are very classy as a fan base because not only earlier this season did did uh, Bills fans make huge donations to um, a charity that Josh Allen supports or to a hospital I forget what it was but when when his grandma passed away they made huge donations and they followed that up by making. Um, huge donations this weekend to a charity that Lamar Jackson supports after he went out of the game. And a lot of them tweeted, you know, it, it's unfortunate that Lamar got knocked out of the game. And, you know, they – I mean, it sounded like they wanted him to stay in. That way it would be a fair game all the way through. So it's a real classy move, especially for a fan base that hasn't been in the playoffs and been winning in the playoffs and as long as they have for them to, to be acting that way and not – out destroying the city celebrating like it's it's a it's a yeah. real testament to that fan base yeah stay classy bills mafia hats off to you so we'll uh, we'll move on to the bucks and saints game so what was your takeaway there uh, i guess circling back to so, the ravens the bills game i think I, I like the ravens and that was a total bust there so yeah i did too forgive me I, I got ahead of myself browns and chiefs what you got on the browns and chiefs um that game uh, we both had the Chiefs winning, but the Browns covering the spread, which they did. It was a 10-point spread, and the final score was 22-17. to 17. I thought the game would go over, so I was incorrect on that. 
didn't quite make it to that over. Um, Told you, man, you can't trust those highest ever totals, and it just those never pan out. <laughs> well, I mean, early early on, it looked like it was going to get there, but a uh, similar situation in this game. Uh, Patrick Mahomes took a concussion uh, midway through the third quarter, and so it, it's really unfortunate that two of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL got concussions in the same weekend of the playoffs, and essentially. Uh, well, in, in Baltimore's case, they lost the game, but in Kansas City's case, they were in danger of losing it uh, and, I mean, really could have lost it, even though they are the, were the much better team all the way around, in my opinion, than the Browns. Um, yeah. Mahomes, he, like I said, he was only in the game two and a half quarters, 255 yards, one touchdown. Uh, to me, the biggest takeaway in – for the the Chiefs is a you got to figure out something to do with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey because they're just they're monsters. Both of them put up over 100 yards receiving in this game. I'm just gonna go on a limb and tell you that you can't. You pick one and stop one. Yeah, um, and then obviously Andy Reid has balls of steel to go for it on fourth and one with the game on the line with the backup quarterback in the in the game and not anything even anything is possible, baby. And not even run the ball in that situation, but to uh, to throw the ball in that situation with the backup quarterback. And I, I was listening to ESPN earlier, and they they definitely talked about how this was this was not. I mean, they've ran this play earlier this season. They ran this play against uh, Miami earlier this season, but. The biggest difference is they coached the entire team up of how to have poor body language when they lined up for this play because if you if you were watching it, you could hear Tony Romo saying, look at their body language, look at their receivers, look at their linemen. The linemen are not in their proper stance. The receivers aren't in their proper stance. The running back's just nonchalant when he's running back to the, you know, when he gets motioned back in the backfield. They're not running this play. They're going to try to get them to jump off sides. And, I mean, Tony Romo was just sitting there saying all this stuff, saying all the Browns have to do is not jump off sides and they're going to get this ball back. And then what do they do? They snap the ball. Like, they they definitely schemed that up because in a situation where they needed this play, they were going to have it and they were going to fool them. So, like I said, Andy Reid is – Andy Reid is the man. He he's he, earning all the cheeseburgers that he can have in Kansas City. That's absolutely, for he's he's proven why he's as good as he is and why that team is as good as they are. Yeah. Um, one so, yeah. thing, uh, we, what you got? No, I was gonna say I was sitting there watching the game and I get a text from a, a friend of mine who's a huge Chiefs fan and she's you know shouts out that anything is possible. That I guess Patrick Mahomes tweeted that out or whatever, but. I mean, Henny, for for all the heroics with the 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 run and you know the pass on fourth down, he damn near cost him the game. I mean, yeah. he threw that ball directly to Carl Joseph. I mean, it's like he threw it, and as soon as the ball left his hand, I was like, who in the hell is he throwing that to? And then when forty two popped up in the end zone wearing a white jersey, I was like, oh shit, the Browns are about to go down and win this game. I was like, it's one of those, it's like one of those moments in the game where you see it as like a huge turning point. It's like, it, I guess a momentum shifter, if you will. It's like, it was almost like the Browns cannot lose this game because there was like no way, because Henny was like, 
completing a few passes here or there. He had a nice completion down the middle to Kelsey to get him, like, damn near in field goal range. And I'm like, okay, like, fucking Chad Henney is carving you up right now. Like, you don't deserve the win. Then he goes and just gift wraps you this interception in the end zone. And I'm just like, oh, my God, the Browns are about to do this. The Browns, like, I, I could feel, like, a part of me just sitting there, like, rooting for the Browns. Like, I this has to happen. Like, I want this to happen. Yeah. And, of course, the Browns is the Browns, and they get basically sacked on two consecutive plays and then punt the ball on fourth and nine with, like, four minutes left. They only had one timeout. But, you know, we talked earlier. I kind of agree with you. Maybe going for it there is probably the best scenario because if you don't complete it and the Chiefs get essentially – I mean, you can run – in three plays, you can run off – what almost three you can run off three minutes in three plays if you no, run not, it three times and you take it you can i mean you can take it down if you do 40 seconds every time and you take it down two minutes i'm sorry two minutes i can't do math yeah, um, it's like two, you can get like two maybe 220 off the clock at the most right and so with a two minute warning and one cleveland timeout you're essentially two first downs away from winning the game so i think if you're cleveland right there you maybe. I mean, you've been rolling the dice all year. You're playing with house money. I mean, you're you know you're down and you're the underdog in the game. So why the hell not go for it? But right, um, you know, I figured the Browns would come out and probably try to do a little more in the running game. And it's almost like it, they didn't have a lot of early success and they just like abandoned the run. I mean, it's like why? Well, why see, when you have two stud running backs who've been just like pounding it down in everybody's throat? How do you end up with 112 yards rushing and you fail to win the time of possession game? Because that's the only way you beat the Chiefs. Is yeah. you just got to play keep away from Patrick Mahomes. Like if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, you have a chance. I mean, you more than likely have at least a shot to win the game. Yeah. See, I, I think the Chiefs, not the Chiefs, the Browns were doing enough in the running game. They just didn't stick with it. I mean, they between. Nick Chubb and Cream Hunt, you had they had 19 carries, uh, and they were averaging each individually were averaging 5.3 yards per carry. So if my running backs are averaging five yards per carry, I'm, I'm them the rock. I'm giving them both 19 carries, not 19 combined. Like I'm right. giving them both 19 carries. Like I'm going to run this ball until you stop the run. I mean they and and that's the Chiefs' weakness is run defense. They they do not have a good run defense. So the Browns, they definitely got away from what they their bread and butter was all season long, which was that running game, because I think they were graded as the second best offensive line when it comes to run block and pass block this year, right behind Green Bay's. And, and on a weekly basis, they were flip-flopping on who was the better one of the two. So for this game to be as big as it was and for them to – really get away from the run of the ball, it, it was a failure on their part. Yeah, I agree, 100%. Um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, good season for the Browns. They're, oh, yeah, it's I mean, definitely as far the as best the season goes, they've had in a long, long time. Yeah, and as far as their team goes, I mean, maybe a few pieces away. I mean, I don't really know what they're looking for. You get uh, Odell Beckham Jr. back next year, and, I mean, you've got you've, – offensively, you've got plenty of skilled players, so you start to wonder maybe is – Baker Mayfield the issue. I mean, I don't think they go no, I don't, I don't entertain drafting the quarterback or anything like that. But, I mean, it, defensively, offensively, the pieces are there. So it's time, I think, just to kind of shed the mindset of, we, you know, the Browns is the Browns, and it's, it's time for them to go out and start winning games. I mean, if Roethlisberger retires, I mean, the Steelers look like they're on their way to declining after decades' success with Big Ben back there. I mean, I think he's like 400 years old. 
I mean, and obviously the Ravens are still, you know, they're going to be good for a while with Lamar Jackson. They got a young team, but you yeah. know, the, the time is now for the Browns to start winning and start trying to, like, kind of take that division over. So we'll see how it plays out for them. But yeah, Chiefs, I, I Chiefs think are kind of like the Packers are too good. I think they'll be a lot better next year. I mean, this is the first year with Kevin Stefanski, and, um, you, you know, they really didn't have an off-season program. And you can really see early in the season is where they were more inconsistent, and then they had their bye week. And since their bye week, they were a lot better and a lot more consistent down the stretch so i think having another off season with that coaching staff and this will be the first year that baker mayfield's been in the nfl where he doesn't have a different head coach than the previous year so yeah there's some stability there and i think that's going to benefit both the offense and the defense having that stability so uh, i think they'll improve and be better next year than they were this year which is good for them right all right so Last but not least was probably what everyone was touting to be the game of the weekend that really didn't turn out to be much of a game at all. Um, Bucks versus the Saints. I like the Saints minus three. That didn't play out either. I figured they would play a little bit better at home. Storyline yeah. in this game was just turnovers, 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 turnovers. Yeah, I, I, I had the Bucks winning this one, so we, we were split on that decision. But, yeah, ultimately it did come down to turnovers. I mean, Drew Brees, he looked like a 41-year-old quarterback back there. I mean, or maybe 42. I forget how old he is. But he he only threw 134 yards. Uh, his yards per attempt was 3.9, which is severely low. Uh, typically, I think average in the NFL is around six to seven yards per attempt. So yeah, I do believe was, last week I said that he doesn't have the ability to push the ball down the field anymore. No, he doesn't. Uh, he threw one touchdown, three interceptions, a 38 rating, which is incredibly low. Uh, the, the only long pass the Saints had in that game was the trick play where they brought in Jameis Winston and he threw a bomb for a touchdown. Yeah. So, oh, crab legs. Oh, yeah. So, um, and really, this game was like a a mirror of the first game of the season when these two teams played in New Orleans where Tampa Bay turned the ball over several times and gave New Orleans short fields, and they racked up, they racked up points with all those turnovers, whereas this time it was New Orleans turning the ball over and giving Tampa Bay the short fields, and they capitalized. Uh, they got 21 points off turnovers, which 21 out of 30. So the majority of their points came off those turnovers and those short fields. Yeah, you can't give Brady opportunities like that and expect him not to go score and win games and stuff like that. I mean, to, to that end, Brady's numbers didn't look great, but, I mean, he does what great quarterbacks do and takes advantage of situations like that. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, saying they didn't look that well, I mean, like I just said, 21 of their 30 points came off those short fields. So when they yeah. actually had to drive the length of the field, they only produced nine points. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it didn't help Mike Evans. He didn't do much. I think he had one catch for three yards. Antonio Brown, one catch for 10 yards. I mean, Chris Godwin didn't have a whole lot. I mean, next week, if you're going to go to Lambeau, play against a good Packers team, I mean, you're going to have to figure out how to be a little bit better offensively. And now, you know, to the Saints' credit, they have a good defense, and, you know, you've played a team three times. So, you know, you do have a little bit of game tape and the ability to, to scheme more so than just, you know, you haven't played them before and stuff like that. So it may be a little bit different in that regard this week, but neither team 
they didn't, you know, look like they're on the same echelon as the Packers. So it'll be interesting to see how Brady and the Bucks do this week. They're definitely going to have to get Mike Evans if he's as healthy as they say he is involved. I know Antonio Brown, I think, is going for an MRI on a knee, so we'll see on what his availability is going to be. But, you know, yeah. they, they protected the ball. Leonard Fournette had another decent game running the ball. So they're going to have to have everything firing on all cylinders if they want to have a shot. So. Yeah, and another thing to note about that game is it's going to be a lot different playing in 20-degree weather compared to in that dome where it's 70 degrees and no weather. Uh, I, think the, I think the projected temperature for the game this weekend is around 22 with a 30 or 40% chance of snow. So it's going to be, it's going to be quite different going to Green Bay to play because the Bucks really haven't played in a cold game all year. Uh, they did play in Washington a couple weeks ago, but they really haven't had a game where it was below 40 degrees. So it's a, it's going to be different for a lot of them. Uh, I know Brady and Gronk have played in a lot of those cold games when they were in New England, but they haven't done it this year. Gronk hasn't done it in two years because he was retired for a year. So and the rest of that team, they're not used to or may not even have the, the knowledge of how, how much different they'll have to play. So it'll be it'll be an interesting game with all that, and like you like you said, I agree they're gonna have to be firing on all cylinders to to score points because the Packers are gonna score points no matter what. Yeah. Well, that and something to be seen. You know, obviously a, a big storyline coming out of this game is gonna be is was that Drew Brees' final game? You know, he kind of had that moment when he's running off the field where he took a look back and. Almost like he was kind of taking his little final mental snapshot of what it's like to be there in the the Superdome, and then obviously there was the video that we saw of you know Breeze and Brady having a moment, you know, yeah, after the game, game yeah, tossing yeah. the ball around with Breeze's kids, which I thought was real cool. So it just yeah. kind of makes you wonder, you know, have we seen the last of Drew Breeze? And I mean, that, he's surefire Hall of Famer, yeah. definitely, definitely I mean, one of the goats of all time. Ultimately, I think it is his last game. I mean, there's been reports out for several weeks that. Uh, the general consensus is that this is his last season. Uh, obviously, he didn't announce that. He said post game that he's going to take some time and you know discuss it with his family and make the decision that they all think is best. Uh, but that's kind of the cl- cliche answer in that that moment. But ultimately, yeah, let's not forget he's got a fat CBS contract waiting on him if he wants it. I think it's NBC. It's uh, NBC with Sunday Night Football. Same thing. So, but yeah, ultimately, I think he hangs it up. I think he's done. I think we've seen over the last several years his his arm decline. Yes, uh, yes, he's he's, he's, he's Peyton Manning territory. <laughs> he, he's as accurate as he's ever been. But if he's throwing the ball more than six, seven yards down the field, he's he's struggling. So I think it's time. Yeah, probably is. I mean, he's got nothing left to prove in his career. I mean, yeah, getting another Super Bowl would be nice. But I mean, at some point, it's like the physical skills just they're just not there yeah i mean there's just there's just there's just when it comes to people in the i guess the sports commentary industry that if you don't win two super bowls then you don't deserve to be in the conversation of is is of the greatest of all time and me personally i don't think that's the case everybody likes to bring up super bowls but super bowls are a team achievement that's it's offense it's defense it's special teams it's coaching so whether yes. 
Whether Breeze has one ring to Brady's six, I don't think that really matters when you're talking about who the better player is between the two. It matters when you're talking about who's more accomplished, absolutely. But who the better player is, no. When you're when you're talking about the better player, it's Super Bowls don't matter. I mean, Drew Brees is definitely a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, he's the only quarterback in NFL history to throw for 5,000-plus yards multiple seasons, and he's done it four or five times. So, I mean, he's – He's the most accurate quarterback in NFL history. He's the leader in yards, the leader in completions. He's second place in touchdowns. I mean, he's – Yeah, to the guy who's currently active. Yeah. You know. So, so it, I don't think he has – you have to make any case for the dude's resume. If, if no. Someone, if someone wants to say that he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame because he's won one, like one ring, you deserve to be slapped. Yeah, like, well, it's, open that's, it's not that. It's just people will not want to put him in the conversation of greatest of all time because he doesn't have more than one Super Bowl. And I, the only thing that I think really hurts Breeze in that conversation is he's never won an MVP. I mean, obviously he's had several seasons that were MVP worthy. It just so happens that all those seasons, guys like Brady or Rodgers or Manning just put up better seasons than he did. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that he he didn't get the MVP award. That's one of the only things he's lacking for his career. But uh, overall, it's a phenomenal career. Yeah, I definitely put him in top five conversation for sure. Yeah. So. All right, so we'll move on uh, to our next topic, which is the ongoing saga that is Deshaun Watson, a.k.a. Degon Watson. That's what yeah, it sounds this, like. This so, whole thing is starting to get really, really ugly. Yeah, it's, it's starting to turn into not quite as dramatic as uh, James Harden's scenario for the Rockets. But, I mean, right now, if you're a Houston sports fan, it's, it's looking pretty bleak with Astros on the decline. James Harden just demanded a trade out of Houston. Now Deshaun Watson wants out. Yeah. Um, I mean, all I saw was some cryptic tweet that says, you know, I've gone from a two to a ten. Yeah, with and, his you know, frustration back, and anger. Yeah, he came back after that and said that it was lyrics from a song or something like that. I mean, whatever, maybe it was, but dude's obviously not happy with what's gone on in Houston with the whole uh, GM hiring process that he was supposed to be a part of and have, you know, not necessarily be a part of who gets picked, but at least have some sort of input. And then, you know, like their owner, Cal McNair, just basically totally shut him out on that. And then uh, the whole head coaching search, I mean, to this point. Well, they like they did finally interview Eric Bieniemy, which is who he wanted. So they, they did they did try to appease him in that matter. Yeah, but the problem is, is with everything that's been going on, I think that coaching job has been like pretty much voted as the least desirable landing spot. So, I mean, someone like Eric Bieniemy is going to want to go to a team that, you know, he has at least a shot. I don't want to say winning because whenever you take over a team, you're not taking over a winner. But I mean, you want to at least have some pieces in place, and, and you know, some you're stability. the one piece that you have. Yeah, the one piece that you have wants out. I mean, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe this thing has gone from fixable to irreparable as far as the damage that's been done with Deshaun Watson. I mean, in this day and age, superstars, whenever they demand trades and stuff like that, it tends to happen. Um, yeah, so more so we'll in other sports than in football. I mean, football is really the one sport that the player doesn't have that much control over the situation. He can still not show up. Yeah, see, I don't I don't know the, the details of the contract to say, like, Say they tell Watson, no, you signed a contract with us. You're you're playing for us or you're not playing at all. So if he doesn't show up, I don't – I mean, obviously, 
as for being part of the roster, he's going to get paid his you know roster bonuses and stuff like that. But his game checks, if he's not playing, he's not going to get those. But I don't know what it stipulates as to him just holding out if those years, like say he sits out a year, if that year is going to count towards his contract or not because he's he's obviously not fulfilling his part of the deal. Yeah. But so so here's here's the problem and here's where he has Houston by the proverbial balls. If Houston had a head coach and they had like a team in place, I would say yeah, he doesn't have much of a bargaining chip, but that's the thing is how do you get any decent head coaching candidate former head coach whatever to come to Houston if the best player on the team basically says like nah dog I don't want to play yeah I won't play I'll sit out then no you're not you mean you're gonna end up like what we talked about and laughed about last uh, episode or so ago you're gonna end up with Marvin Lewis as your head coach and that ain't I mean, that's not good for anybody he's just an no. NFL retread so I think that's where he actually has some leverage in this. It's like, okay, you want Eric Bieniemy to be the coach, but is he going to come there if Deshaun Watson's gone? Hell no. no. No one is. Absolutely nobody. I wouldn't want to coach that team without Deshaun Watson. So yeah. I think best thing you can do is at this point, I mean, Houston fans don't want to hear this. It's not the best thing you can do, but, I mean, it sounds like the best option that you have is to trade them and try to get as much draft capital a player back for him. So, but the only problem with that is, is uh, the no trade clause in his contract. So, yeah, Houston can find a team that's going to give them exactly what they want. But if it's not a team he wants to go to, then he can say, "Nah, dog, I'm not going there." So, find somebody else because yeah. he he has to agree to the trade because of the no trade clause. So, at this point, I think there's 31 other places that he would prefer to play than Houston, Texas. I understand that, but at the same time, he's he knows he has some leverage because of that, so he's not just going to take the first trade that comes to the team. I mean, it's it's going to be where he wants to go, somewhere he wants to go. Yeah. And with the with the landscape of the NFL, there's probably 20 to 24 teams that should be calling Houston right now to try to make offers for Deshaun. I mean, yeah. There's I mean, there's really no excuse for a lot of these teams to not gauge their interest and see what what they can do. I mean, because if you even if you're even if you have a quarterback, say, you know, for example, the 49ers, you know, they have Jimmy Garoppolo, but how much of an upgrade is Deshaun Watson to Jimmy Garoppolo? He's a huge upgrade. Yeah. yeah, he's huge. So I mean, you take a team like San Francisco who's got a legit defense when it's healthy, a great young head coach, very creative head coach, got decent weapons on offense, got good receivers, got a good tight end, got a good running game, and you put Deshaun there, like they're they're elevated to probably one of the best rosters in the league. So, I mean, even though they have a quarterback, they should be gauging interest. Right, and I mean, Garoppolo's long-term health is he obviously the dude – can't stay on the field for whatever reason since he went to forty or uh, San Francisco. Excuse me. Um, to me, I mean, right now, it it almost seems like the sports universe is trying to will this trade to Miami. I think, I mean, from what I understand, I think Deshaun Watson would be open to going to Miami. Obviously, they have. It's another 
very solid young team, great defense. Um, offensively, you have some weapons. You're running back away from being a really solid offensive team. I think Deshaun Washington, he pushes them into the conversation of winning the AFC East with the Bills. Um, in that regard, obviously, if you're the Texans, you'd want to get Tua back. So that way you could kind of start this rebuilding process and try to start piecing things back together after Bill O'Brien, brick by brick, destroyed it. Um, I mean, that too. And, you know, obviously the big thing here is they, they have to get draft capital too. I mean, you, you can't just get a player and say, okay, I want a player and like maybe a first rounder. Like you need multiple picks, multiple first rounders plus second rounders, something like that. And the Dolphins right now are like, they kind of line up as your best trade partner because they have draft capital. Like, you can get your third overall pick back that you traded away yeah. for Laramie Tunsil, you know, which would be huge. So, like, do you get Tua, then turn around and draft Devontae Smith and get now you have a young quarterback with a pretty good receiver. I mean, more than likely, I think they're going to let J.J. Watt walk. I don't know if he's a free agent technically. No, he's or not. He's, he's got a year left. But they so can they may. Yeah, they may release him and let him go elsewhere. But, it sounds like that's probably going to happen because he doesn't want to be there either. But another another layer to this is you don't necessarily have to get a player back for him. You're going to want one. I mean, if if you can't get the draft picks you want, yeah, you want to get a player. But by with the landscape of what the NFL offseason is going to be with the lower salary caps due to COVID. Um, and you unload Deshaun Watson's contract, you're going to free up a ton of cap space. So all these teams that are – how much he counts against the cap too. Yeah, but, I mean, they're they're definitely going to free up a lot of money. So all these teams that are projected to be over the cap and they're going to have to possibly release players, like you can probably get a lot of good players for cheap with the, with the way the cap is going to be. And uh, as the cap comes back – you know, just your promise on that as the cap come, comes back, we'll restructure your contract and pay you more. So, I mean, they don't necessarily have to get a player for him. And if I were them, I wouldn't – I'm not sold on Tua. Like, I, he did good not turning the ball over in the starts that he had. But overall, he just didn't play that well. So, I mean, I wouldn't – I wouldn't want to go into the season with my offense riding on specifically Tua. Uh, if you're the Texans, you don't – you're not a contender this year. You're not even a contender in the AFC South. The Colts and the Titans are way ahead of you. So, yeah, you need building. You need building blocks. I so, mean, if, like I would, I said, I would prefer could, the draft picks. Like, if you could get the third overall pick from Miami and then some several other picks, I mean, you can draft a quarterback and start the rebuild process with, yeah, with that. I just like think that. Miami's going to want to unload to it because I mean, if you, you you're not you didn't draft them fifth overall for him to be a backup behind Deshaun Watson, right? So you're going no, to probably but, try to but trade they would him for Deshaun. To, they would be able to find somebody else to trade for him if Houston didn't want Tua. Yeah, I don't think that Miami's going to try to trade Tua. They'd be more content to keep him and try to build around him if that's the case. But like I said, Miami, they make sense. Like I said, you can get Tua the third pick, maybe another first-round pick this year and some other capital in the next couple of years. Like I said, that's the biggest thing for the Texans is to get future picks to be able to rebuild, like I said, after Bill O'Brien pretty much destroyed things there. Some other teams that I've kind of read and, and heard is Washington, which I don't even know what Washington has to offer. No, I, mean, I, I really don't see that. not going to be that high. I mean, it's like 17 this year, so yeah. – yeah, I think no, I think it'd be 19. Um, we already talked about the 49ers. The Jets is another one. Now, if I was trading with the Jets, I don't want Sam Darnold. I'd want the number two picks. That way, you could 
maybe possibly find a way to trade with Jacksonville and get Trevor Lawrence, or if you like Justin Fields enough, if you think he's got some Deshaun Watson qualities in him, which I mean, to be honest with you, it's so if you go back four or five years or whenever Deshaun Watson was drafted three years ago, and you look at his skills and abilities and you compare those to Justin Fields, I'd probably say on paper, they're pretty comparable. I mean, Justin Fields, Deshaun Watson, to me, coming out of college, kind of reminiscent of the same player. I'm not saying that if the Texans do end up with the number two pick, that that's who they should draft, or even the number three pick if they do move him to the Dolphins and the Dolphins somehow don't trade to or they trade to it to someone else and get a pick back. I mean, like I said, this is all just speculation, but I'm just saying if I'm trading with the Jets, I just I do not want Sam Darnold. I mean, just please, no. No. But Patriots um, another intriguing team, too, because they got a shit ton of draft picks. I mean, yeah. Bill Belichick's obviously, he's crafty with his stuff, and Deshaun Watson would look real good in New England, but they need a lot more help than just quarterback. They need some receiver help. Yeah, I think another team stuff. that's kind of under the radar, and they have a track record of this, would be Denver. I mean, Denver, yeah. Denver is not scared to pull the trigger on a quarterback. I mean, they pulled the trigger on Peyton Manning, and it, it worked out well for a couple years until he started to decline, but they still won a Super Bowl. Uh, they got to two Super Bowls with him. So they they would be another team to, to really watch in this whole scenario because I think, if, I think they would easily be okay with trading Drew Locke and, you know, several picks to try to get Watson. Yeah, I think you just keep Drew Lock. He mean he to me Drew Lock is an NFL backup quarterback. I mean he's got some skills, but he's he's too much gunslinger, not enough talent to be like a Josh Allen type guy. So um, you know, I'll just leave you with this. Um, so you know, we we looked at the betting odds for who are the favorites to uh, potentially trade and land Mr. Watson's services. Uh, the Jets were the favorite going off at like three to two, I believe, or maybe three to one. And then the Dolphins were behind them, followed by the Bears, Broncos, and Colts. And then we'll just throw out there that the Patriots, Eagles, and Panthers were uh, six, seven, and eight. So, like I said, your top five: Jets, Dolphins, Bears, Broncos, Colts, Colts. Uh, yeah, I don't see that happening with it. Being I mean, I'm not sure they must have picks or something like that. That I, I you know, we don't know about because I mean, you're sure shit not going to get. Well, they Phillip Rivers. Well, they have a really yeah. young team, so they have the cap space. So that's probably. A layer to that but yeah uh the only way i see this being a trade within the division is if watson just refuses to go to any other team and he forces the texans hand on that yeah so yeah i see the colts i mean the fact that they're fifth kind of surprises me but i think you know the bears being third is another one too because the bears have needed a quarterback since they even drafted mitchell trubisky yeah could have got watson in the same draft Um, yeah i don't i don't see them being being a viable option mainly because uh, they have a lot of larger contracts so I don't know if they could survive taking on Deshaun's contract and then with them making the playoffs and not being the worst team in the playoffs their their draft picks are not going to be that good and they gave up a lot of draft picks several years ago when they took or uh, when they got when they got Trubisky and when they got Khalil Mack so yeah. Uh, they just – I don't see them having a lot to offer, and I don't really see them being able to sustain the contract. Yeah, that's true. I think most likely it's going to come down to the Jets and Dolphins, and I think there's just so much – I mean, when you know they say where there's smoke, there's fire. There's just so much smoke around this trade with the Dolphins that – I mean, I think this ends up being some sort of possibility. I don't think that 
they'll get as many. If they get Tua, they're not going to get as many picks. I think they can get Tua and the third overall pick and maybe like another first rounder, maybe like a next year's first rounder or second rounder. But, I mean, to me, that's almost like this. Like I said, the sports universe is trying to like will that into existence and stuff like that. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But as far as I'm concerned, he's like I said, he's DeGon Watson from Houston. He's he's out of here. Yeah, and that's that's unfortunate for future Houston fans because like like you mentioned, they just lost James Harden. They're losing to Sean Watson, and both of those were the team leaders for the Rockets and Texans. And yeah. I mean. The Astros are not who they were 2017 when they won the World Series, or was yeah. it 2018? 17. Whenever it was. So, yeah. I mean, Houston fans had, you know, several good years of where they had some dominance and they really had a lot to root for, and now they're essentially back to <laughs> where they were, you know, eight uh, years ago when they had nothing to root fire. for. It is a straight dumpster fire. But, but as unfortunately, we're still – I mean, you may not have an issue with it, but I know I do is all baseball season long. Every – I always know when the Astros game is going on because uh, I have those fans on Facebook that every time George Springer hits a home run, I see 20 posts that say Springer Dinger, and it just irks me to no end. Yeah, you so, won't have to see it anymore because he's, he's not going to be an Astro. So Springer Dinger, if you're a Mets fan, if you got any Mets fans on your posts, I mean, that's where he's likely to end up, yeah, I think, so, at this point. But you don't have but, to worry about it being an Astro. But the same thing, you have the same thing with Altuve every time he does something. So it's just like uh, I would not be disappointed if the Astros fell apart. Uh, well, I don't think they're going to fall apart, but they won't be as good as they have been. So yeah. that's, that's another conversation for a couple months from now when we start getting into it. But – now we'll see how it all plays out. We'll see how these games go this weekend. Yeah, um, we'll uh, we'll we'll probably hit another episode later this week. Uh, probably get it posted Saturday with our uh, takes for the conference championship games this weekend. We'll see what else we can come up for with for y'all. Uh, you got anything else you want to hit before we close? No, like we always say, love to hear from you guys. If you got some topics you want us to discuss, you know, we kind of kicked around the idea of maybe covering the McGregor Poirier fight this weekend. So we may talk about that on Friday. We'll just see what's going on in the sports world between now and then. But again, love to hear from you guys. We appreciate all the support. Keep showing us some love, and we'll uh, we'll catch y'all in the next one.